0: And I entitled today's message, Who is this Man? Jesus provides evidence of being the Messiah. Now, we just wrapped up four weeks on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is about to come down off that mountain, and he's about to launch into, according to Matthew's uh, way he organized it, uh, a listing of 13 different miracles. These are some of my favorite stories in all the Bible. They're ones that just make me crack up. I have a little different way of looking at things than, than most people. Um, but it certainly brings up some very serious questions. Uh, anytime you're talking about miracles, it has to bring up the question: Are miracles real? Are they legit? Are they for today? Does God do that kind of stuff? And you really have to wrestle with what you think they are and why God is doing that. Um, you guys got—we ran out of Bibles. We got a couple more. All right, we we ran out. Sorry, guys. Um, what's that? Oh, there's one more Bible running over here. Can you bring it up front? Thank you. There's a couple more that are needed. Now, we are going to cover eight of the 13 miracles. And when you're sorting this stuff out, if you don't understand why God is doing what he's doing, why Jesus is doing the miracles that he's doing, you're going to leave with some very bogus notions about who God is. For example, you're going to hear him heal a blind guy or you're going to see him heal the paralyzed guy or he's going to heal the leper guy and yet you have a hurt in your life and god's not doing a miracle there and you're going to walk away and go well clearly god loves some people and doesn't love other people or clearly jesus loved that guy a lot and he doesn't love me at all because he's not responding to my need that is absolutely incorrect Miracles, as I define them, are, you could say, when a supernatural force comes from outside our closed system and alters our world, or put a Christian spin on it, when God reaches from the outside and begins to work in the inside and something has changed. When that occurs in the Bible, there's a reason why these are recorded. Uh, remember Jesus did an awful lot of miracles, far too many to ever contain. Yet these were selected out and written down for us to read for a purpose that all highlights. One point when God does stuff, he does stuff for a reason. He does stuff for a point. And when you look at it, it's not for flash. Jesus does something for to try to make us understand something different about who he is now. The two most common types of miracles are signs and wonders. Wonders are things that just make you go, wow, that's shocking. And a lot of times it draws a crowd. And a lot of times those are just attached to compassion. But then there are miracles that would be deemed as signs. You guys have heard that, signs and wonders. Well, signs are just that. They point to a message. They point to something you're supposed to look at and know differently because of hearing it or seeing it or engaging with it. Jesus has a wonderful blend of these types of things when he does his miracles, which is why the the fill-in-the-blank in front of you is this. Christ's miracles perfectly blended signs with compassion. Christ's miracles perfectly blended signs with compassion. Now, remember, there are four accounts of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John three are called synoptic Matthew, Mark and Luke, which means they're very similar in nature. As a matter of fact, all 13 miracles that we are about to study in this week and next week, none of them are included in the book of John. So we don't have any record there. So if you're going to read that gospel, you're going to miss out on this stuff. But Matthew, Mark and Luke, they all seem to comment on the majority of them. So I had an option to teach you this morning. Do I merely read Matthew's account and then comment on what the other guys did Or do I have you go put your finger here and turn here and turn here and turn here all day long? Or do I fuse them all together? So what I have done, and this is probably not something you're likely to do at home, although you can do it just as easy as I do, is I fused all the gospel accounts together. And when I read it to you, I will be reading Matthew, Mark and Luke's views all together. So it will sound like one smooth story, but it's everybody's point of view coming in. All right. Now, if you're ever interested in getting some of that stuff, if I'm going to do all the work, you may as well benefit from it. So email me. I'll cut and paste it. And if you wanted to know about this particular passage, I'll fire those to you. Don't worry about it. But what happens is it's going to be a little odd to follow along today in your Bibles. What you need to do, if you want to follow along, is start out with your finger on where we're starting in Matthew, and then wherever I deviate, just wait. I'll come back to it once Mark gets done talking. Then we scoot on over, and then Luke goes off, all right? And then you've got to wait till he comes back, and then you keep going, and you will see that all of them are included. Now, the great question in my mind that I would love to take some of you that go, well, I've already heard these stories, I'm going to check out. I want, to, I want to kind of blow your mind on one question here for a moment. Not only do you got to go through these stories and ask, what is Jesus' point in doing the miracle? But I want you to ask yourself this question. Is this God doing it, or is this a fully surrendered human being doing it? You go, what are you talking about? Well, Jesus is God-man. And when he set aside the perks of his Godhead in Philippians 2... What did he set aside and why do these miracle stories use phrases like, and there was power for him to perform miracles? Why does God need power to perform miracles? It'll say different things. He didn't do very many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Things like that. You'll hear these really weird things. It'll say when the lady touched him, power went out from him. Or it'll say things like Jesus withdrew in exhaustion. Does God get exhausted? My purpose in bringing that to you is very simply to ask you this. Is this something that a sold out Believer can do with God's power, and He set us an example, and He said, Greater things than these will you do. Is He setting us an example, and are we an awful embarrassment to the power that is available, or is this flat out God? And you will never be God, and you can never do these types of things. And you go, well, Lance, are you trying to say that what human beings can do this? You got to remember this the disciples. When Jesus empowered them and stepped out, did almost every one of these miracles all over again. Other people in the Old Testament have raised people from the dead. That is not new because God has always been God and it's always been only him. doesn't matter who it's going through. It's always been God's power. But I want you to take it one level deeper and start trying to figure out what God is telling you through these messages, through these individual stories. They're not just stories for you to go, wow, that was neat, and give it a little clap. You're supposed to be amazed, you're supposed to know your Jesus more, and you're supposed to think much deeper because you engage with the Word of God, all right? So, let's dive into this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, page 686, and the Bible is handed to you. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. As I said, it might be a little awkward to follow along. Some of you may just close your eyes and listen as I begin the account. So, let's go ahead and pray for the word right off the bat, and we will begin. Heavenly Father, would you open up our eyes that we may spiritually discern what you're trying to share with us, that, Lord, I know it's so much more than a story. I know it's so much more than a history lesson. I know that this has everything to do with life and godliness that we need to understand and know. I pray right now, Lord, that we would be your people in the moment, that as you want to move on earth, that we would be your hands and your feet. To accomplish kingdom purposes, we submit ourselves to you and we ask that you would transform us before we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It begins like this When he, meaning Jesus, came down from the mountainside where he had taught the Sermon on the Mount, large crowds followed him. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man who was covered with leprosy came. When he saw Jesus, he knelt and begged him on his knees. He fell with his face to the ground before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning and ordered him, quote, See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news about him all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but often withdrew and stayed outside in lonely places and prayed. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Well, that's a little bit different than what you just read, right? You're reading Matthew and you're like, man, I just missed a whole bunch of stuff. Well, yeah, that's why we do cross-referencing and we got to read the other accounts because it's a bit more full when you see them all together. Now, because every one of these stories is certainly a sermon or perhaps a sermon series, I'm going to be flying through them to get through what we have. But I got to highlight a few points. This story is amazing on face value, but it's far more impacting When you begin to understand some of the details first of all leprosy what is leprosy well a lot of us maybe have seen things on the discovery channel or we've read books about or growing up in the church we heard about this whole thing of oh everybody's limbs just fall off that's pretty much all we know they wrap them up in little like laundry stuff and you know they have little bandages on and then they look gnarly that's all we know all right well let me give you a little bit fuller explanation Leprosy was a horrible disease for two primary reasons. First of all, it's a horrible disease that you have to live through in your body. Now, I read a book, was given a book by Paul Brand. Dr. Paul Brand wrote a book called The Gift of Pain. And in that book, what he wrote was all about leprosy. He's a modern-day doctor, and he studied leprosy overseas, and that's what he has spent his whole life studying. And he began to share with people, listen, there's a message here. Because at its heart, at its simplest form, what leprosy is, is a deadening of all your nerve endings. It stops all sensation of pain. And you go, well, that sounds awesome. No, it's a horrible concept. Why? If you're leaning on the stove, you have no idea you're leaning on the stove and it's on. You will just singe all the way through. You have no idea. If you're walking along, you stub your toe. You don't know you stub your toe. You will never even check it. And it will continue to hurt if you have a broken bone. Well, normally we reset it or we calm down or we mellow out. If you have no pain sensation, you continue to move it and you will grind your bones into nothingness. If you have no sensation of pain, your whole body will deteriorate and destroy itself. All infections are usually taken care of because you have a pain sensation. If you have no pain sensation, you don't think it's a big deal. That allows bacterial problems, viral problems to sort through your system and begin to rip you apart. So over a period of decades, you die a slow death of falling apart. That's leprosy. But it's not just that that makes it so brutal. It has a social stigma that is worse than any other disease, almost certainly in the ancient world. In the Old Testament, there were prescriptions on what to do with skin rashes and diseases of the skin. You'd take it to a priest and you'd say, hey, can you check this out? This looks really funky to me. And then the priest would look at it and go, I think you have leprosy. Right? And he'd prescribe all these purification rituals. Well, a lot of that was hygienic. They're living in a culture where when you have a communicable disease or you have something that is contagious, you have to contain it right away. So there was all kinds of rules about containment. Well, by the time Jesus rolls around, the Jews have not only added to this stuff, but sheer fear in human nature have blown this stigma into a full-blown absolute panic. Thus, you have lepers cast out into leper colonies. You guys know what I'm talking about? Leper colonies are where only lepers can hang out. They're not allowed in the city. As a matter of fact, you had written rules in the Mishnah and the Talmud, the Jewish writings, specific, very long rules on what you could or could not do as a leper. You cannot get any closer than 18 inches to a leper. If a wind is blowing, you must back up a certain amount of feet. If the wind is blowing your direction, they ended up having to walk into town. They have to scream out what unclean so that everyone would get out of their way. Why? Because if they touch you, if they touch something that you have touched, you are unclean. You are no longer fit to be able to go to uh, synagogue. temple you are no longer fit to offer sacrifices you are ceremonially unclean so everything they touch it says written down in the mishnah that if you walk in if a leper walks into your home your home is unclean up to the rafters all the way up everything in your whole area is unclean now when you are a very religious system and you're worried about clean and unclean to a paranoid degree you don't want to deal with these people You get them away from you as much as possible. So it is a life of rejection. It is a life that is very solitary. Their throat begins to ulcerate. That's one of the things that goes first in a leper, and they'll eventually lose their ability to speak. So it's not like you get to hang out with other lepers as well and talk a whole lot. It is this man under these conditions that just walked up to Jesus. Now, why is that extraordinary? because if you're worried about clean and unclean, you don't go talk to a rabbi because rabbis are clean. They're supposed to be clean. They're the clean guys. They're the guys that do all the religious stuff. So no, you don't go talk to a rabbi. Here this guy comes walking up boldly and no one's going to get in his way and try to push him out of the way, right? Like, what are you going to touch me? Is that what you're going to do? Walks right up with absolute boldness, but humility. And he says, you can solve my problem. I believe in you 100%. You are the answer. You are who I've been waiting for. All this faith, boom, targets right on Jesus. If you are willing, meaning I have no problem with faith that you can, I'm a little worried about rejection that you will. Will you heal me? And Jesus said, I am willing. And then how did Jesus heal him? Touched him. Is that dramatic? In a world of unclean, you better believe it. Because now jesus is unclean right because jesus just touched the guy jesus goes i don't care <laughs> reached forward and touched a man who probably hadn't been touched in years craving human touch there's this compassion that's reaching out of jesus saying i could have healed the guy with a word i could have healed the guy with all kinds of different rituals i could have healed the guy a million different ways but what does this guy crave in his heart he needs to be touched I'll break through all these walls in front of everyone and I'll reach out and I will touch this man. How extraordinary is that? But then he gives them two rather unusual directives. The first one is he said, I want you to go show yourself to the priest and go through the purification ritual. Now, if you ever want to do any study, go look up what the purification ritual is. It's enormous, very bothersome. It is a lot of stuff. However, Jesus said, go to the priest and get a clean bill of health. Why? Jesus knew he was clean. Why go through all the rigmarole? Why go through the hoops? Because it wasn't about just healing this man so that he could still hide because no one trusts that he's clean. This is about reintegrating into society. This is about society needing to know that he's clean because it was time to re-engage after all these years. But it's deeper than that. He said, go tell yourself and show yourself to who? The priests. Why is that important? Because after 400 years of silence, don't you think the Jews want to know if the Messiah is in town? Every time in the Old Testament, if God was going to communicate to man, he would communicate first through who? The prophets and the priests. So just as the Messiah was to do, he said, why don't you let the big dogs know I'm in town? And you come walking in with proof then they have to mess with me. You understand how that works? All right. Then the second directive that he gave him that was really unusual is he said, don't tell anybody about it. Really? You're going to keep that quiet. The most incredible thing that ever happened to you. Why did Jesus do that? That's almost mean. You go, well, you're kind of crushing his joy. I mean, this guy wants to go out and tell everybody. Why would you tell him not to say anything? Well, After 400 years of silence, don't you think the Jews really want their Messiah to show up so he would take over the Roman Empire and they could put him up on the throne and then they become the big bad nation they've always wanted to be? What do you think they're going to do to Jesus if they know he's in town? They don't understand why he's here yet. They only understand what they want him for. They want him to be a military leader. And Jesus said, keep it quiet. They don't understand me yet. Keep it quiet because I won't be able to go anywhere. Well, guess what happened? Mr. Flappy Gums runs off and starts telling everybody. (laughs) Boom! Jesus can't go anywhere. From that point forward, Jesus had to stay on the outskirts of everything because people would mob him. Not only do they want stuff from him to get healed of their sickness, but they want to force him into being the leader of this new movement to go take over Rome. And Jesus said, that's not what I'm here for. And until you get it, we don't need to have this conversation. Ah... Jesus is being practical. We move on to the next story found in verse oh we We're hauling. Here we go. Verse 5. The story of the centurion's servant. This is included in Luke as well as Matthew, so I begin with Luke's account. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, which was kind of Jesus' hub of activity. There is a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, who was sick and about to die. When Jesus entered Capernaum, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him for help to come and heal his servant. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and in terrible suffering. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and amazed and turning to the crowd said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go. It will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. If you didn't read Luke, doesn't it look like the guy was there? Matthew seemed to suggest that the centurion showed up. Luke lets you know he wasn't even in the mix. He was sending letters through These different convoys, because he didn't feel he was worthy to even be next to Jesus. He is what's considered a Gentile who is a God-fearer, a man who would be a convert to Judaism, though he himself was not a Jew. What's a centurion? Well, how many years is a century? Hundred. How many soldiers are underneath a centurion? Hundred. These, is, these people are the backbone of the Roman army. They were the good guys, the level-headed guys, the guys that would handle the unruly soldiers. They made sure that Rome was strong. But do you understand that the Jews didn't like the Romans? These are the bad guys. So now we have a guy, even though he's a good bad guy, he's still a bad guy, and he's a Gentile. So he then asked of this Jewish rabbi claiming to be the Messiah, and he's totally convinced... Will you help my slave? You guys understand how bizarre the story is getting. Why is he going out of his way to crash through walls, cause problems for his slave? According to the ancient world, the majority view was what your slave is nothing more than an animal who can talk. It is something that you discard when it is no longer useful. So why is this guy going through all this effort for an object? Because clearly he doesn't buy into that system. He loves this man. He values this man. And he will go to the ends of the earth for this man. He wants his servant better. So he walks up and exerts such incredible faith as it stuns Jesus. He said, you don't need to come. Just say it. You're the master of the universe. All you got to do is command it. And it's so. I know how I run my ship. My ship's pretty tight. You run the universe. Just say it nothing more than that how incredible is that so much so that jesus turns to the jews and goes what the gentiles say oh that's right that's right master of the universe right here (laughs) huh they seem to get it what's your problem It was constantly this little embarrassment. Then Jesus drops his hammer, bam, on the Jewish people. Absolutely scares the living daylights out of them. He says, by the way, let me give you a little picture on what the banquet's going to be like in heaven. Many will come from the east and the west. And you go, who are those? It just means outside of Israel, right? Either direction doesn't matter. But they're non-Jews. There's going to be Gentiles at the table. That is absolutely unheard of to the Jewish people. What do you mean? This is our God. This is what we do. This is our little banquet. No, they're not going to be there. He said, not only are they going to be there, but a bunch of you are not going to be there. You will be cast out and thrown where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Boy, that must have sent shockwaves. And these people are thinking, but I thought you were our guy. I thought you're our champion. What are you doing? It's interesting because you remember when Joshua was about to uh, attack Jericho And we had the commander of the army of God walk up to him and Joshua saw him a sword in his hand. He said, are you on our team or their team? What did the commander of the army of God say? I'm not on anybody's team. Question is, are you on my team? Really? Same exact thing right here. Let's jump to the next story. We pick it up in verse 14. Here's three individual miracles that occur here, or at least types of miracles or categories Verse 14, Mark says, begins it this way. As soon as they left, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. They were brothers. So Simon Peter had a brother named Andrew who lived with him. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who was suffering from a high fever, lying in bed. And they told Jesus about her and they asked Jesus to help her. So he went to her, bent over her, took her hand, rebuked the fever and helped her up. And the fever left her and she got up at once and began to wait on him. Okay, did you guys notice a couple of weird things there? First of all, has anybody else tripped out about the fact that the disciples were married? Well, you all don't think of that, do you? Oh, no, they didn't have kids. They didn't have families. They're all a bunch of bachelors. Hey, Bartholomew, what are you doing later? I'm bowling. <laughs> really? Don't you have a wife? Nope. I just hang out. Well, I mean, that's how we always picture it. No, 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 no. A number of these guys had wives. As a matter of fact, right here, they were living in a house where he had his mother-in-law staying with her. Now, tradition says that his wife was just as hardcore as he was. How do we know that? According to tradition, Peter saw his wife martyred in front of his face before he was crucified upside down for Jesus' sake. And he was sending out an encouragement, but she went first. She was willing to die right in front of his face for Christ. Quite a family, quite a powerful family. And here's her mom laying in bed with a fever and you go oh she had a boo-boo that's sad no no no. it might have been a lot more severe than that because there are three major fever issues going on in that region at that time one of which was malaria every one of them was life-threatening so i don't know what the fever was it could have been just a daily illness or it could have been a life-threatening illness but the bottom line jesus had compassion touched her she gets healed and then what does she do gets up and serves that's it boom i'm up what do i do let's go Now, don't you think she could have taken the day off? Don't you think at some point she goes, I had malaria five minutes ago. I'm going to go ahead and just kind of kick back here, watch a little Oprah. Okay, the deal is, is this not a commentary that we get saved of our sins? We get healed from all our iniquity and, and, and horrible depravity that is in our bodies. And when we get saved, we don't do anything. She gets saved, she gets healed of one thing, and immediately, boom, she's right in the service of God. And she said, let's go. That's why I've been healed. Let's do this. Come on, let's go do something for the kingdom. And she's immediately right on task. What an incredible woman. It picks it up right here. That evening when the sun was setting, and after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many spirits or demons with a word. Moreover, demons came out of people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Once again, how embarrassing is that? Hey, Jews, what did the demon say? Oh, that's right. I'm the Messiah. I mean, he's constantly shutting them down, going, no, you're not going to break this open. I'm already having enough trouble. You, when you jump out of there, quiet, done with you. Move on right? And he's casting out demons left and right. And this whole time, this poor guy's just getting exhausted, but it's not over. And he healed all the sick. Did you see that? What does all mean in Greek? All weird. Okay. So when he healed all the sick, That's a long time. I don't know how many people are in line. I don't know what's going on, but he's doing it all. And who had various kinds of sickness, laying his hands on each one, he healed them. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah 53, 4. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Very early in the morning at daybreak, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon, meaning Peter and his companions, went to look for him. And when they found him, they tried to keep him from leaving. They exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages and towns so I can preach the good news of the kingdom of God there also. That's why I've come and why I was sent. In other words, Jesus is on task. No, we are not trying to build some huge, great, fantastic ministry where I can be a really big deal. We're moving on. That's what we do. Oh, but Jesus, they're really into you. I mean, they're surrounding the house. Yeah, because they want something from me. We're moving on. No, we're not doing that. Well, Jesus, they could support us. They could be, this could be incredible and we could. No, we're moving on. That's why I'm here. Are you seeing this Messiah that you serve? What he's like. Hopefully you're falling in love with this guy. He's just extraordinary. We pick it up in verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. As they were walking along the road, a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God still another said i will follow you lord but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family jesus replied no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of god why are these in a list of miracles i would suggest to you that it's a miracle that anyone ever follows jesus with the amount of excuses that we have and jesus began to nail them one by one first of all it's a miracle that a teacher of the law would ever come to jesus do you remember he's having a big battle with two groups of people who The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they are the enemy here. This is this big battle over these things. Yet one of their guys just totally caves and says, you are definitely the Messiah. I'm on the wrong side. Can I follow you? Jesus shoves him back and says, I don't think you get it. I don't think you understand how difficult this is. This is real life, boy. We are not messing around. You follow me, you will likely die a horrible, bloody death. That's what I'm going to promise you. What, you want to know, oh, is it it cushy, is it nice, is it easy? No, it's exhausting and it's brutal, and I'm only going to do it for about three years. Figure it out before you come with me. Then sure enough, he tells another guy, hey, you, follow me. Well, hold on, let me go back and bury my father. And then all of a sudden, Jesus sounds so cold and so mean. He's like, let the dead bury their dead. You, go. You're like, Jesus, his dad just died. Mellow out, holy cow so rude. First of all, that's a phrase. And the phrase means when my dad passes away, the whole estate is going to be transferred over into my name. And I have an awful lot of responsibilities to the families, to the greater family, to make sure everything is managed and organized out. So I don't know when dad's going to pass away, but the whole point is I have way too many responsibilities here. I can't do that. And Jesus said, really? How about leaving the world with the world? Can we move on now? And then sure enough, the last guy says, what? Let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, really? We're already turning around and we're looking back. Is that what we're doing? You go, well, Jesus, what are you like anti-family? Can't even say goodbye to his family? No. In a few moments, you're going to read a story about a man who was told to go home to his family. Jesus is very pro-family. What you're missing is each one of these individual men had excuses for different reasons. And Jesus would nail them right there. Whatever your excuse is and why you're not following God... Prepare to be prodded right about there. Because Jesus is going to keep messing with you until you surrender all. We move on to the next story, calming of the storm. Verse 23, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was. And he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. There were other boats with him. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Now, this is pretty exhausted. Without warning, a furious storm or squall came up on the lake, so the waves swept and broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, and they were in great danger. But Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples went and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, Oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up. Rebuked the winds and the raging water, said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the storm subsided, the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? Do you still have no faith? The men were amazed and terrified and asked each other, Who is this? What kind of man is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. What'd you see? I see they don't get it, right? Isn't that pretty obvious? Really? You mean the guy that just cast out all those demons right in front of you? You mean the guy that just did all that healing? That's not convincing? You still don't get it that he's the Messiah. Even when he says, I'm the Messiah. I mean, that's odd. We're not, we're not tracking with this guy? Who is this man? What do you mean, who is this man? You don't need more information. You got rebellion in your heart. That's a problem. You don't want to surrender. That's your problem. If you're examining Christianity and you've heard all this stuff and all you can do is think of more reasons why you don't want to follow God today, grow up. Figure it out. We don't have all day. See, here's the deal. You gotta sort it out in your mind because you're always gonna have excuses. There's always gonna be more that you want to know. There's always gonna be more information that you're gonna demand. You want more proof. I don't know how much more proof you want. So Jesus is supposed to do an individual miracle that is effective for every individual person for them to come to him. Who is God? You or him? We expect and demand so much on God. That is not who we are. That's not who he is. Sometimes we've got to make the call. You look at this story and there's a couple things that are really unusual. First of all, there's more than one boat. Did you see that? How weird is that? I don't even remember reading that. There's other boats. So all of a sudden the storm comes on. You always assume it's their little boat hanging out in the middle of the lake. No, there's a bunch of boats. Well, they don't have a Jesus sleeping in their stern. So this wind comes up, bam, man starts ready to kill everybody. And they're like, I hope the Jesus boat gets it right because we're in trouble. We got no one to yell at, right? Sure enough, what do they start doing? Every time things don't go well in our lives, we begin to attack God's character. Right. Teacher, you don't care about us. You don't care if we drown. And we just start insulting him over and over and over. He's like, hold on a second. Why are we going there just because you're scared? Why is it suddenly that I don't love you? Why is that your first reaction? And here's the funny part about it. He says to them, why are you so afraid? Oh, you have little faith. And then the next sentence says, then he got up. So in other words, the whole time he's laying on the cushion. He's like, you don't have any faith you're bugging me and now i'll get up and then he gets up and he goes over and he starts calming the things down he walks out and says to the to the waves what mellow the waves like sorry he's kind of calmed down you know i mean this is an amazing story and everybody seems to lose sight in just a few chapters we're going to see peter walk on water And the minute he begins to sink and he looks at the waves he panics really right after you just saw him calm the waves come on That's human nature. That's us. So slow to grasp it. So slow to hang on. We pick up on one of my favorite stories of all time. Verse 28. I've preached on this a number of times. We begin... With Luke's words, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, the Gadarenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus got out of the boat and stepped ashore, he was met by two demon-possessed men from the town tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. One of the men with an evil spirit came forward to meet him, and when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him, fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? I beg you, don't torture us torture me, swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him come out of this man you evil spirit. For a long time this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Many times it had seized him, and though he was often chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him, and the demon had driven him into solitary places. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And Jesus Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Because many demons had gone into him and they begged him repeatedly not to send them out of the area or order them to go into the abyss. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, drive us among the herd of pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. He said to them, go, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. When the demons came out of the man and went into the pigs, the whole herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported all this in the town and countryside, including what happened to the demons-possessed men, and the whole town went out to meet Jesus. People went out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured and about the pigs as well. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes pleaded with Jesus to leave their region because they were overcome with fear. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him but sent him away saying, return home to your family. Tell how much the Lord God has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. He told all over town how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. How about that story? Man, crazy. I don't have time to go into all of it, but how did the demons react to Jesus? They seem pretty squirmy, don't you think? Yeah, they screamed out, are you going to torture us before the appointed time? They know they're going down. Why in the world is there so much talk about how incredibly powerful the enemy is? Oh, my gosh, there's a demon in the room. Oh, my gosh, there's a demon in this person. Oh, my gosh, the demons are here. Wait a second. Is Jesus here? Then what are we talking about? How do demons react to Jesus? They're scared to death of Jesus. He is the almighty king. And when he walks into town, they freak out. They cannot handle being around him. Did he do a big hoopla to get them out? Was there a lot of music and dancing and getting crazy? No. He said, get out. That's it. How many soldiers are in a Roman legion? Six thousand. Why do you pick the name? I don't know. Maybe it's a numbers thing. Sure enough, he walks in. I don't know how many demons are in this guy, but man, this guy could not have been worse off. And when you get near Jesus, how does the story end? Calm, in his right mind, ready to go into discipleship. That's That's amazing. Is it possible to be transformed by Christ? We are living testimony. And then... There's all this talk of, ooh, great battle, ooh, Jesus has his side and his angels, and they're battling against the mighty forces of darkness on this side with Satan and his angels, and, oh, there's animosity, and they're fighting back and forth. What did you see? I lost my notes. What did you see? Here's what I saw. Demons go, hey, um, if you cast us out, can you send us into the pigs? And what does Jesus go? Okay. You're like, what? You're making deals with demons? What are you doing? No, you're angry at them. There's a lot of bitterness, right? Jesus is like, no, not really. Not really. They're about to fry in the lake of fire for eternity, so a few more days is not a big deal. There's no reaction, there's no panic, there's no scare. It's just, you're done here. Move on. Why they want to go in the pigs, I don't know. There's a whole long, I've done all kinds of research on that stuff. But honestly, did they, were they in every pig or did some of the pigs just go, what are we doing? Oh, my gosh. And they're just running, you know. I don't know. I don't know. But that's probably not the point of the story. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus said, go home and talk to your family. They've been missing you. It's been a long time. And your ministry at home is way bigger than anything you're going to do following me around. Go home. We finish with this story, Matthew 9, 1. A few days later, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, and so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. That's a weird line. Underline that. Try to sort that one out. Some men brought to him a paralytic. Lying on a mat carried by four people, four men, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. But since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat. The paralyzed man was lying on through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, their faith, plural, by the way, he said to the paralytic, take heart, son. For my friend, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law sitting there said to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like this? This fellow is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all, went home. This amazed everyone. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men, saying, We've never seen anything like this. We have seen remarkable things today. How about that? So here's how the story goes paralyzed guy has four buddies. They take it upon themselves to make sure that they're going to get him to Jesus. He can't get there on his own. This is about community. They then said we will get him near Jesus. That's how much we love him. We will not leave him in this current condition. So they pick up this guy and they carry him all the way across town to go find out where Jesus is. When they get there, there's a problem. He can't get in. Now, my buddies would just go, dude, it's closed. And then just go home. And I'm like, Hey, I'm on the mat. What? Okay. They said, we're not stopping here. We are going to do something about it. What are we going to do? I don't know. Let's climb on the roof. Okay. I don't know who that genius was, but then they climb up on the roof. Hey, look, there's no way to get in. Let's make a way. What are you suggesting? Let's dig through the roof. We're just going to dig through a guy's roof that we don't know. Yeah. All right, what, start ripping? Yeah, just start ripping. Okay, so they start ripping apart on the roof, right? Now, they're right above Jesus. What kind of debris is falling as he's teaching? As he's sitting there trying to talk, and it's like, boom, all this like little sheetrock's falling down, you know. And he's obviously not sheetrock. We all good on that? Okay, good. Okay. All this stuff is falling down on Jesus, and it, I, I don't know how he kept a straight face the whole time. But, boy, it took a long time. Because they had to make a big old enormous hole. How do I know that? Because you can't tell your buddy, dude, just tuck your legs like this and I'll lower you through the hole. Because <laughs> he's paralyzed. And it's, anyway. So then, you've got to lay this guy flat out. You've got to dig a hole long enough to let this guy go all the way down, man-shaped size hole, the whole time everybody below is waiting. Right? Because you can't even go on because you know that some guy's going to come through. Then finally, somehow they have ropes. So they're lowering this guy down going, ee, ee eat going down and everybody's waiting for him and sure enough they lower him right in front of Jesus and then he looks over at Jesus and goes hi and Jesus is going hi I've been I've been waiting for you we're all waiting for you what's up paralyzed yeah yeah I got that I got that well I want you to know your sins are forgiven he's like I'm sorry my what I'm here I'm here for the whole paralysis thing I didn't what do you mean my sin what about my sins what are you talking about Right, And then Jesus knew that there was a deeper issue going on and he used it as a teaching moment. No one else could see whether his heart was cleansed or that he was forgiven by God. And so for the purpose of demonstrating that he indeed was the Messiah that could forgive sins here on earth, he said, take up your mat, go home. What's so amazing, he said, stand up right here in front of us all. Get up, grab your mat. I'm not carrying that. Now, take that, go home. And he walked out right in front of everybody. And everybody's amazed. Jesus does miracles for a reason. It's not because he loves one person better than another. It's that whether or not we feel good or don't feel good in the grand scheme of things is not the end-all, be-all of everything. We're going somewhere. That matters more. And remember, he healed Lazarus. He raised him from the dead only to die again. Is that really effective? But his purpose in being here was to tell you of his love and to demonstrate the kingdom of God. And so he was constantly trying to tell a message. So I ask you this question. What miracles are occurring in your life and what in the world is God trying to say? Because he's not just trying to impress you. Something's going on. Miracles are occurring in your life. What are they pointing to? sometimes the answer is just going to be, I love you. Great. But sometimes it's deeper than that. Are you listening? Are you watching? Because he's an amazing savior and you don't want to miss any bit of it. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly father, thank you so much for today and a reminder of how amazing you are, Jesus, and how fun It is to read your word. I ask, Lord, that you would open up our eyes in a brand new way. And as we leave out of here and go on to baptism and talking about you and having fun together and just spending fellowship time. Lord, that you would walk with us and make us your light and salt in the earth. In Jesus name we pray.